Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. guys. Um, I want to just start with a prayer. You know, we're, we're preaching on uh, the Holy Spirit this morning. We're looking at a text in John uh, chapter 14. I thought, hey, we should be saying about it. We should also pray. Maybe a little extra uh, ask from the Lord to meet us as we, as we teach about him. Lord, we love your Holy Spirit. Um, we honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. Uh, this third beautiful person in, in the Trinity and the Godhead. And we, we, we say that you are God. We say that you are uh, worthy of our attention, that we invite your presence to come and we don't take your presence for granted. We pray that ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. As we teach about you and learn about you, would we encounter you? We love you. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we're in Lent and we're preparing our hearts uh, for an approach to the cross, right? We're in this season of fasting and prayer and engaging with uh, the story of the cross, engaging with the story of the resurrection. Uh, and as Jesus approached that moment with his disciples, um, we're looking in the book of John, uh, he, 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 was, he was very, very conscious, obviously, that he was going to the cross, very conscious uh, about what was going to happen. And he knew that what was going to happen was going to be uh, life-changing. It was going to be a pivotal moment in the world that was going to change everything. And it was going to be a pivotal moment in the lives of his disciples that was going to change everything for them. And so he was educating them as best he could as about, about what was about to happen, but really at engaging with the idea that there is something beyond this. There's a journey beyond the cross that, that you guys are going to need to be prepared to walk through. Uh, there's something that's going to have to happen. And so he's uh, in the upper room with them. This whole discourse takes place in the upper room. They've just done uh, the Last Supper, and he's washed his disciples' feet. Uh, it's a moment where he's been saying some things to them, which, which have been a little hard for them to understand uh, over the last few days, kind of uncomfortable things. He's been saying things like, uh, let, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it, it can bear no fruit. Uh, the light is among you just a little while longer, uh, hinting that he, he's about to go away. And as he, he begins to, to speak these things to them and reveal the fact that he is about to die and he's about to go away, uh, their hearts begin to get troubled. Uh, they begin to worry. They begin to be full of concern. And with the first sermon in the series, uh, we addressed that because they were, they were just afraid that the journey was going to end, that they weren't going to be able to continue on with him. They were expecting him to gloriously take over Jerusalem and, and begin to lead and rule and kick out the Romans and all of these kinds of things. And, and all of a sudden, they knew that wasn't going to be happening. Uh, their hearts were stirred. Their hearts were troubled. And, uh, and he says to them, like we talked about in that first message, you know, hey, just a minute, you don't have to worry. You're not going to go back to your homes. You're not going to have to go back to being fishermen. The journey is going to continue. The journey is going to go on. Uh, for now, the road is actually going to be your home. So this, this mission that you're on, this thing that you're excited about is still going to happen. 
And so we assured them of that. And as we go into the second message, we're still in that context. We're still in the upper room. The disciples are still uh, with troubled hearts. And he's going to address the next concern in, in their hearts, the next thing that they're worried about. And what they're worried about, and you can tell by the way he answers the question, what the question is, is they're worried that they're going to have to do it alone. If the road is our home, do, do, do we have to walk this journey alone? You're, you're going away. How does this even work without you? I mean, you're the one who would always tell us what to do. You're the one who would give us instructions and show us where to go and tell us how to spend the money and uh, give, us, give us all the details we need. You're the leader. Like, how are we going to do this without your leadership? You're sending us on the road. You're sending us on a mission. But we have no idea what to do. We don't know how to do it. How does this thing work with you. And, and, and I think this actually speaks to uh, one of our greatest fears as people. I think we as people uh, feel like as we're going to do the Christian journey, we're going out to do the mission that God has for us, that we are going to have to go out there and do it ourselves. We just are doing something for him. There's maybe some reward at the end, but we have a fairly low expectation around his presence with us on the journey and his leadership of our lives in real time. And that's where the disciples were wrestling. Uh, when Anna and I were uh, in, our, in our 20s, we were 21, and we had just been uh, married for, for a very short period of time, just for a month, really. Uh, we'd gotten permission to do an internship uh, out in Saskatchewan at a little church on a Cree reservation uh, called... Uh, Church of the Living God, the church that was bringing us in to lead this little church on the reserve was called Living Faith Outreach, and there's just a Google Earth picture of it uh, right now, or sorry, a Google, um, what do you call that little thing that goes around <laughs> and takes pictures of your house? Street View, um, and that's just a picture of it, so that building is still standing, but this was our first uh, church. This is the first church we pastored, 21 years old. And as the story goes, uh, as we went out to, to do that ministry, we were sort of, we were, you know, we'd, we'd informed them that we were coming. We had an invitation to do this internship. And uh, we sort of called them and said, hey, you know, we've just gotten married. We're going to leave in about a month. We'll be there. And uh, we called, you know, a week before we left. Okay, we're getting some repairs done on our car. And we're leaving. We'll, we'll, we'll get out there. We'll, we'll be in Saskatchewan in, in probably just a couple of weeks or just a week. Uh, we get out there. We called, you know, from the road. We called, like, from Saskatoon. And we, we, we arrive at this little church. And, and there's just been no sense that we are real and that we're actually coming. Uh, we walked into the parsonage, and there was uh, garbage uh, piled up around the garbage bin, and there was uh, pews in our living room, and dirty bedclothes in the place, and there just been no preparation for us. And what we found out at the time was that the pastor who had invited us to come do this internship was just was just fairly burnt out. But he was like, "Okay, let's go. Let's do this. You're here." We cleaned out our place, we painted the cupboards, we took a week to settle in. And then we had this moment where we were going to be installed on the church in the reserve to begin to pastor and care there and care for it. And on the day of our installation service, when they're going to lay hands on us and give us this authority to pastor this little church um, up on Beardy's Reserve in, in Saskatchewan, the pastor called us up and said, hey, listen, do you think at your installation service you could just kind of pray for yourself? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to Newfoundland and um, can you pastor my church too? And can I borrow your trailer? 
and he was gone. He was gone. We're 21 years old, one year of Bible school. Uh, the other request there was, oh, and can you pastor my church too? 21 years old, one year of Bible school, we're pastoring two churches, one of them cross-cultural with uh, indigenous people in Canada. Way over our heads. And we knew in that moment what it felt like to be on a mission, to be doing something that God was calling us to do, and to not have with us the leadership and the care and the nurture that we had expected that we would have. And that is exactly what the disciples were feeling in that moment. And the answer for us and the answer for the disciples was exactly the same thing. I am giving you the Holy Spirit. I am giving you the Holy Spirit. And in that time of, uh, of just grinding, right, we were preaching. It was in a culture where you're sort of expected to, you know, we had a Sunday morning service, a Sunday afternoon service, a Sunday evening service, uh, two weekly Bible studies in a culture where you're expected to preach for at least an hour uh, or, or you're ripping them off. You know, we are just under it, preparing five hours of teaching a week and trying to meet people and care and figure out how to do evangelism and lead two churches. And in the middle of it, though, I could say with, with absolute, uh, absolute certainty, absolute clarity, and absolute joy that those were some of the most powerful times of meeting with the Holy Spirit that I've ever experienced. Because in that moment, absolutely, completely, utterly dependent on him, and that's our journey. That's what we are going through. That's what we are enduring. That question, uh, do we have to walk alone, is answered by the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit walking with us. And it turned out, you know, well, it wasn't a long internship. We didn't stay for years and grow this church to an incredible number, but the Lord was present with us. And we came back a little broken, a little bit weary, but we came back and the Lord was with us in spite of us not having the things that we think we need. And so in that spirit, in that spirit of, of I, I can tell you during that time how troubled our hearts were. Uh, from that sense of being troubled, that sense of, can I do this mission that God is calling me to? We hear Jesus' words now in the upper room, and we're just going to read this text, and I want you to hear him saying to you in this text, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So let's read this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you. While I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus addresses uh, this uh, this group of people, these disciples who are passionate about the mission, they've been disappointed that he's maybe not going to be with them on them. And he answers that disquiet in their hearts, that frustration in their hearts, that fear in their hearts with this, uh, this it's actually a dif- difficult statement. And we're going to go back and look at it a little bit. We're going to actually close with it. But he basically answers them with this idea that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And to say this much about it is what he's addressing in them in their hearts in that moment is a fear of failure. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Their fear was that they just wouldn't be able to do it. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, so he says this. He teaches them. He says, ask and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Right? So this is Jesus' promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the answer to the question of their loneliness. This is the answer to their question of their fear. This is the answer to the question of their inadequacy. And we want to just notice a few things in this text and around it before we begin to unpack some of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do in their lives. Uh, the first thing that we see there is that word, give. And everywhere you see the Holy Spirit, you see that the Holy Spirit is given. Right? So this is a gift. This is something that is not something that you can do. It is not something that you can lay hold of for yourself. The Holy Spirit comes as a gift to you, as a present, as uh, something that is freely offered to you. Uh, we see the word forever. There is something of permanence in this coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of us grew up as, as cessationists, not knowing that the Holy Spirit was still alive and active and pouring out gifts and working in the church. But this is one of those texts that we look to and say that the Holy Spirit is given, and the journey with the Holy Spirit is meant to continue. If the Holy Spirit is the one uh, who is empowering your journey and calling the disciples forward, the Holy Spirit is not a, a temporal being, a temporary being. The Holy Spirit does not turn off. He does not turn off his intention. He does not shift who he is. He does not become someone else. So this person who is empowering the disciples and filling them and causing their lives to go forward in truth and glory and beauty, that person is still alive and with you and in you, and you can expect that the Holy Spirit will be present in your life today as it was 2,000 years ago for them and will continue on and on and on until the Lord comes again. The Holy Spirit, that gift is forever. 
Second, he says uh, in, in this text, he says, uh, the world cannot receive it because it neither sees him or knows him. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about that, but one thing you can, be, you can know is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift that's for you. It's something that is special for the church. There is something about how you relate to Christ and something about how you know him, something about you declaring yourself as him disciple that enables that gift to come and flow into your life, that this is something that is a special gift for you, a special gift for the church. It's unique to the church. Only a disciple gets it. And so it's a gift that's, that's targeted for you. Uh, the other thing we observe is that the Spirit is never referred to as an it. This is not the force we're talking about, right? This is not Star Wars. This is a living person that wants to have a relationship with you. The Holy Spirit, that gift is personal. It's meant to be relational. It's meant to be conversational. Uh, there is something that is meant to be uh, close in it as well. He will be in you. You will know him. He will The, the, like, like, are we... So let's, just, so let's just pray for a moment and just, just ask ourselves where our hearts are at on this. Lord, I just ask that as we continue this message that you would uh, reveal to us what our true expectations of you are. Would you reveal to us who you are? Do we believe that you're fickle and that you give your gifts and then take them away? Do we believe that it's something that we have to earn and we haven't earned it yet? Do we have, have we had experiences that have caused us to doubt that you love us and you want to empower us? I just ask that you would put your finger on it and you would begin to open our hearts up to receive and experience the power of your spirit, to know who you are, and to begin uh, in a greater way to walk in the reality of your presence. Do that with us, we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Cool. And so there's some key words that he uses here um, to describe what the Spirit is going to do, how the Spirit is going to address uh, their troubled hearts. And this uh, first thing that we see here is uh, this idea that the gift of the Spirit addresses uh, the loneliness of truth-bearing. And what I mean by that is that uh, this name given to the Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, uh, and this word for the Spirit, this word parakletos or parakleton, uh, it means, uh, means advocate. It means lawyer in many senses in the word. And I think many of us who have grown up in charismatic or Pentecostal churches have, have, heard, this, have heard this before, but, but it's really important to just... The disciples sure had a, had a journey, had a purpose to go forward into the world and to, pro world and to proclaim the going into a place where they're wrestling with, we're saying something that is radically different. We know that the, the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees, they're, they're all mad at Jesus. They're plotting to kill him. And that's going to be something that we're going to have to wrestle with. How are we going to be people who are countercultural missionaries? 
How are we going to be people that are going to proclaim something that is so different from what the world wants to hear? Right? That's our status as well. We wrestle with that same thing in our culture. How do I live counterculturally Christian in this world? How do I proclaim uh, the community of God into a highly individualistic world? How do I proclaim uh, the God who holds me accountable and calls me to holiness uh, to a world that only believes in individualism and self-accountability? How do I call the world to, and people around me to self-sacrificing love when everything in our culture is all about self-love? and keeping it for yourself, and becoming yourself, and becoming your own identity, a love that is completely narcissistic in our culture. How do I preach an otherly love in that context? We wrestle with having to bring, are we going to do that, right? And the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, We see it in the ESV, it's helper, uh, it's counselor in the NIV, it's comforter in Tyndale and KJV, uh, it's advocate, in uh, NLT, TNIV, and that word advocate is really probably the best translation. He comes alongside of us as we go to do the mission of proclaiming the truth of who he is as, a, as, as that guy who sits beside me uh, when I'm on, on trial and says, this is what we're going to say because this is what they're going to hear. This is what needs to be done. I know the system. I know how it works. I'm going to help you say the thing that you need to say, even though you don't have all of the skills and the ability to say it yourself. You've got to trust your lawyer. You've got to trust the Spirit. And so there is that advocate role for us. So we continue, again, the vocation, the mission of being evangelists, of being missionaries. Remember, that's the context, what he's calling us to. He helps us make that case. The next thing that the Spirit does, again, just scanning through the text, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. The gift of the Spirit addresses our fear of rejection. I remember what I felt on that day when that pastor called me up and said, hey, I'm going to Newfoundland. Uh, Can I borrow your trailer and can you pastor my church too? I did not feel overwhelmingly fathered and parented in that moment, (laughs) right? That is not what I felt like, <laughs> right? I felt abandoned. I felt alone. I felt so alone in that moment. How, how am I going to do this? And that word uh, orphan really speaks to that. You know, in, in the Greek word, in that word for orphan, that, that definition of that word aphemi uh, that is used there, he says it actually means not just to, to orphan someone, not just to, to leave someone, it means to send them away. And what Jesus is saying, I am not just sending you away. I'm not just sending you out there to do it by yourself. I'm not just not sending you out there, throwing you into the deep end of the pool and hoping you learn how to swim. I want you to know that's not what I'm doing for you. What I'm setting up for you is a set of conditions where I am in the pool with you. I'm your water wings. I'm your floaty. I'm your instructor in the pool. 
and I will be with you. And there's something really beautiful in this bit. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father. And another text around there, he says, and the Father is in me, and you in me, and I in you. And what that is, is a theological uh, term. It's just a beautiful theological thing that we call mutual indwelling. Not only is he like with us in the pool, he is in us in the pool. And we are in him in the pool. And the Father is in him in the pool. And he is in the Father in the pool. There is no separating us from the Godhead in the pool. We live and do this journey absolutely, completely by the Holy Spirit. Embedded in all that God is. We are a part of him. And he is a part of us by the work of the Holy Spirit. We do this thing together. I will not leave you as orphans. And then uh, in, in, in this text, he says, uh, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest uh, myself to him. The gift of the spirit addresses our need for love and addresses uh, our need for his presence in the journey. You know, we don't just have to live a life. Now, sometimes it is like that. In reality, practically, it is like that. Sometimes we say God is with us by faith. I know it theologically. Uh, I believe it to be true. I've read it in the Bible, so I know that God is with me. And sometimes we do that. We do that. Sometimes we do that. We do that just by faith. But that is not meant to be completely what characterizes our lives. We are meant to have a life where it seems to us that he is manifest to us. He is revealed to us. He is seen interactive relationship with the Holy Spirit in which we experience his love. And I don't want to take anything away from those dark moments of, of struggle, those dark moments when it doesn't feel like he is near. We all go through that. I have gone through that. People we love have gone through that. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason those moments come, that's not his heart for you unless to teach you something in the short term. He wants to be manifest to you, present to you, an instruction, right? It addresses our need to just know stuff, to know stuff about him, uh, to remember his story. The Spirit, and I think you probably experienced this, where you're walking through your day, day by day, and you're wrestling with a struggle, uh, wrestling with a decision that you have to make at work. And the Lord will just whisper little things in your heart that remind you of who he is, remind you of what his character is. Sometimes we call these words of wisdom, or words of knowledge, gifts that sort of uh, are, are articulated a little bit later in Paul's teaching. But, but even if you've not had that language, you speak to Christians that don't have never had that kind of teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they will still tell you an experience of the Holy Spirit speaking in their hearts. Right, and guiding them and leading them and directing them. I will teach you what you need to know. And the other thing we look at in terms of this text is in this text is what we see as a promise uh, to the disciples that everything that you're going to need to write down that will become the Bible, you could trust that you're going to remember everything. 
right? They didn't know they were going to write the Bible, but we see in this, this transmission, the scriptures, uh, that they would remember the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus taught, and they would write them down. And we are writing down what the Spirit reminded them of. We're reading what the Spirit reminded them of, right? And so what, what an incredible gift to have this written record of the Spirit reminding the disciples of all of the things that Jesus did. The written word of God. How powerful. And so there's this challenge that we, that we face. Uh, we are struggling to go into the culture and deliver truth. Uh, we have this need for companionship, this need for parenting, this need not to be orphans. Uh, we have this need for love and the manifest presence of God. And we have, have this need for knowledge. And as we go through the mission, we go through the journey, we do our journey on the road with God. By his spirit, he meets those needs. Isn't he an incredible, generous God that he meets those needs for you and me and for our troubled hearts? Just saw he summarized it. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And he's addressing our fear. And then woven through this incredible introduction to the Holy Spirit and this incredible, uh, generous teaching about how the Holy Spirit is going to help us on the road and help us on the journey, uh, woven through that four times in the text is this, uh, this interaction, this phrase uh, about command and love, following his commands and love. And I just want us to, to look at those four, uh, look at three of them in particular, and just look at them and just see how that ties it together. And we're going to show how this engine of the love of the Holy Spirit and following Jesus works together. So let's just look at these. And again, these are, these are tricky, right? We're, we're going to unpack them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, loves me, will be loved by my Father. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And the fourth one is more ominous in verse 24. If anyone does not love me, dot, dot, dot. So how do we read those? Like, how do you read those instinctually? I'm going to just look at the center one. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Right, there's two ways we can read that. Uh, how many of you sort of instinctually read it like this first one? If I love Jesus, then I'd better obey his commandments so that he'll love me back. Does that sound like what we kind of like instinctively think about these texts sometimes? Come on, be honest. Raise your hand with me. I better do, if I love him, I better do what he says, and then I get some love back, right? Now, we know that's unbiblical. We know that's not scriptural. We know that's against even like Ephesians 2, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? We do not get the love of God because of what we do. We know that to be untrue, right? But don't we instinctively operate out of that religious framework a lot? right? I, I do. I have a tendency to get in that space uh, a lot. Um, or, or we can read it like this. He says, because I love Jesus, I obey him because he also loves me. Because I love Jesus, I obey him and he also loves me so. 
And that's what the text is actually saying. And I'm just going to show that to you uh, in, the, in the text. Um, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Now that phrase there, that is actually a causal statement. It's articulated again in actually the, in verse 15, the other one, uh, where it sort of says, uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. So we know there's a causal connection between those two things. If anyone loves me, the natural thing that happens after that and because of that is that person will keep my commandments. So it's not because I love him, I got to do the commandments. That's not what the, the text is saying. It's saying because I have this love for him, I do the commandments. This is a little bit different, isn't it? Right, and so we see that there's sort of a logical flow in terms of how that works, and we see that also, you know, is uh, is actually something that's that's really backed up by Scripture in so many other places. But it, this love of God is what fuels our ability to do uh, the things that He's calling us to do. The second part, and He who loves me will be loved by me. Is, is separated from that text by that word an, which is a Greek word, kago. And that word doesn't mean, like sometimes when we read and, we read and then, right? We just naturally in our heads as English speakers read and read and then. So we sometimes sort of read, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and then he who loves me will be loved by my father. But in the Greek, that's not what it is at all. In the Greek, it's like this. It's whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And also, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And what that does is it brings that love of the Father back to the beginning of the phrase and tells you that those are two things that are happening concurrently. Those are two things that are happening together, and that's in line right, with what we talked about earlier, mutual indwelling. Right? The love that we are feeling uh, as we, as we uh, do the commandments is the love that we are receiving as he has chosen to love us. They are something that are happening simultaneously. As the love pours out, the love pours in. It's something that he is fueling, he is empowering. And we see this elsewhere in John's teaching. As John explains it, John 4, 6, or sorry, 4, 18 to 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We are loving him not out of our own love, not out of our own strength, not out of our own will, not out of our own ability. We, we're absolutely dependent on him for the love that we need to love him. It's an incredible gift of grace. An incredible gift of grace that we love him with the love he gave us in the first place. What an incredible, powerful, generous God. Because you know yourself, you know your own heart, I know my own heart, I am selfish to the core, I am a sinner, and I only want to love myself. This love that I have for others and this love that I have for him, it 
came from him in the first place. I get no credit for it whatsoever, for it whatsoever. It's all him. It's all grace. It's all mercy. It's the incredible love of a generous God who pours himself out on us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? From, from the beginning of time, from before the cosmos were spoken into existence, he saw us and he knew us and he loved us and gave us a love with which we can love him back. What an incredible God. That, and so that, that leaves us with some, some questions like, how, how does that work? How, how, what is meant by, what kind of love is this? How does that love work? How do I do it? Obedience flow out of love. How do I keep this engine running? Where do I get that love in the first place? And we want to notice something about that word love. That word love, and I, and I just, I, I love this de- definition of it. it. It is a discriminating affection. It is a discriminating affection, a chosen choice and selection. And isn't that how he loved you? A targeted affection of his chosen people. And then he gives us the dignity and the honor to let us also choose to love him. And hidden in that is the dark side that this love that he has poured out in our hearts, we can choose not. A covenant calling, this covenant holiness, this covenant thing that's in the Old Testament that I have fulfilled, I have not, um, I've not abandoned the Old Covenant, I have not um, gone against the Old Covenant, but I have fulfilled it in myself. He says, in me, you fulfill those commandments. It's also the greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, your mind, pointing back to the Shema. Love your neighbor uh, as yourself. And it speaks to this theme that's written through the Old Testament law all the way through Deuteronomy that my people would be known and that he would be known as the faithful God which keeps his covenant with mercy, covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. And that's repeated time and time again in Deuteronomy. That he is a faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. So he's taking that Old Testament weight, that Old Testament revelation of who God is, that Old Testament revelation and saying, now in order to fulfill that covenant, you're not just loving uh, the Old Testament God that you imagine him to be. You see what that Old Testament God looks like when you see me. That's what he looks like. And you invest your love in me. And he claims the Old Testament. He claims those old commandments. He says they're my commandments. And he owns them. And we see them completely fulfilled in him. And then in this text, remember, the context is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And our covenant with him is sealed through the sign of the Holy Spirit. So there's this, in this text, there's this complete fulfillment of the expectations of the Old Testament as we love Jesus and we see it empowered by and sealed by the sign of the Holy Spirit. He's taking the Godhead here and he's wrapping up love and fulfillment and joy and holiness in a bow for us and saying, hey, this is a gift 
You get to take it. You get to go forward and fulfill my mission, fulfill my commands, fulfill this thing that I have fulfilled. You carry the mission and journey forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all happening here as you learn to love me. And what that leaves us at practically is this reality that choosing to love, to receive his love, and direct that love back to him, the more naturally, the more obediently, we walk according to his intended purposes for our lives. Now, don't you want to walk in his intended purpose for your life? Don't you want to walk and be who he's called you to be? Don't you want to walk in obedience? Don't you want to see your friends come to faith? Don't you want to see a journey with him that is full of fruitfulness in life? It starts by receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving his love. And simply, as the text says, choosing to direct that love back to him. And all the rest follows if that's happening. It's an incredible cycle, incredible engine for the growth of the church. He loves us. We love him. We obey him. We proclaim that message as others come to obey him and love him. Others become us. They become part of our family. And then he loves us. And then the big us loves him, obeys him. Others come to love him. Others become part of us. And he loves the bigger us. And then that bigger us, he loves that bigger us. The bigger us loves him, obeys him. Then others love him. They become us. And he loves all of them. And that's how life happens. That's how the church grows. That's how we're meant to live. And that's how we're meant to walk out the mission that he has for us. And the challenge for us is is that sometimes we just break the cycle. Don't we? Where's the cycle broken in your life? Where's the cycle broken in my life? For some of us, that cycle is broken when we just don't know that he loves us. And we don't know to receive the love of the Holy Spirit. We just don't know. Uh, for some time, sometimes we've disqualified ourselves. We've said, you know, we've forgotten about the cross. We're sinners. We, we've, we've sinned. We, we've disappointed God. How can I receive anything from him? How come the, I receive the love of the Holy Spirit poured out of my heart? Well, that's what the cross is for. Right? We receive the forgiveness of grace and the fa- of the Father. We know that he loves us and his love is poured out in our hearts again. Sometimes we get bored because we're idiots. But we do. Sometimes we just get bored. We forget. You know, our love of him is a response to the beauty of him. The beauty of his love for us. And we as Christians have such a tendency to just be like, oh man, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to go play a first person shooter on the Xbox. 
right? There needs to be something in us. Like we have moments where we feel like he's far away. And what's required in those moments is for us to intentionally seek. That's what this fast is about. Phil 4, 8. To fast, to intentionally say, I'm going to try to look at the scriptures again. I want to see that person, Jesus. I want to read about him. I want to know about him. Look at how he healed that blind man. Holy smokes, I feel love for him again. I I see a facet of him that I hadn't seen before. To read theology and say, holy smokes, I hadn't realized how powerful this mutual indwelling thing is. That the spirit comes from him and he's in the father and the father's in him. I'm in the Father and the Father. That's amazing. What an incredible, beautiful thing he did. We need to, I'm reading a book right now called, uh, what's it called? I forget the title of it. Oh, it's The Thrill of Orthodoxy. That sounds so boring to you guys, but I love it. I love it, right? To know the true things about God and who he is, to know the facets of his beauty, the incredible work that he's done in the world, the incredible, infinitely vast, beautiful truth of who Jesus is should look at this again and explore it and it should ignite our hearts again. He's beautiful and there's no end to his beauty. So we seek him again. We open up a theology book. We pray. We come together in worship. We open up our Bibles. And we reignite that engine of our love for him as a response to his love for us as revealed to us in the scriptures. We relight that engine. The other place that engine breaks is when we just stop passing the love that's poured into us through. Anybody have their engine broken there? I've just been to 100 Bible studies and 100 worship services, and I've not engaged myself in ministry. I've not put myself out there. I've not poured myself out. The love that I've received, I've just not given. It's another place where the engine breaks, isn't it? We choose not to pour out that love that he's poured into us. If you want to experience the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, put yourself in a ministry experience where you're way over your head. Volunteer for something you absolutely cannot do. Talk to a friend who needs Jesus when you're terrified to do so, and you absolutely are not going to be successful unless the advocate, the Holy Spirit, has come alongside you. Take a risk. Pour out his love. And the engine begins again. And so that's the call for us. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.